so much for us to talk about this morning. Little thing about, you know, who the next premier of this province is going to be. So, of course, we've been following closely with the NDP leadership race and what's been happening. The big news yesterday was that the NDP executive met for about four hours well into uh, the evening and into the night and they made a decision. Let's talk about that decision now. Vaughn Palmer joins us from the Vancouver Sun. Good morning, Vaughn. Hey, good morning, Simeon. What fun, a virtual stakeout for the media <laughs> last night. Is that what that was? Yeah, no, we had, uh, well, Zussman uh, keeping us all informed with all of his sources. Uh, let's see, Justine Hunter of the Globe and Mail was playing solitaire online. Uh, Rob Shaw was uh, circulating SpongeBob SquarePants videos. I saw and that. Yes. I was killing time on my exercise bike while watching a Quentin Tarantino movie, figuring that you want violence and recriminations, there's no one topping Quentin. Well, you know what? Quentin Tarantino or BC politics, I can see how those (laughs) would be a toss-up. So here we had the decision, which after the report and everything, you know, not a surprise, but Vaughn, it really seems like the Apadurai people and her supporters launched a pretty hard campaign yesterday to try to change this decision. Yeah, so they've been fighting really... uh, they knew what was coming. It was kind of obvious. All the signs were there, and they've been fighting to to kind of get the party to back off, reverse direction, let her run. Um, they had a go at an appeal to the party's table officers on Monday. That was turned down. They tried to argue uh, Elizabeth Cull, the chief electoral officer for the party, with her findings and... Last ditch, last night, Simi, um, they said, give us 10 minutes to the party executive. Let us present our case. Party turned them down, so they released their statement. Runs about five pages. It doesn't really challenge the fundamentals. No, it didn't. That's what I thought, too. I read through it, and I thought, well, you're not really addressing the actual issues that were in the report. No, and, and the problem that is really strong and evident in the Cull report is that she just didn't believe Apatari and Apatari's campaign. She said they were uh, negligent, uh, they were lackadaisical in their attitude toward the party's rules, there was obfuscation. Uh, the word fraud appears, I don't know, a dozen times in that report. Like it, it, the, the report is so devastating and overwhelming, you can imagine why the party went, I don't know if we need to hear anything more from this person, and that is sort of what they decided. They're, they didn't even give her a hearing last night. Their view was she'd had plenty of time to face up to the evidence against her and acknowledge what she should have acknowledged, which is that at the very least there was a lot of rule-breaking going on. She didn't yeah. do any of that. There's a very close relationship with, with Dogwood, clearly, from that. And yeah. I just, you know, as I thought about it yesterday, Vaughn, I thought, how would people feel about this if it wasn't an environmental group like Dogwood? What if it was a developer? What if it was a corporation? Would we would we have anybody fighting over this if that were the case? That's true. And, you know, if you were to pick one paragraph out of the report, a woman who was an official in Dogwood volunteers for the Apadurai campaign And she sends out an email to Dogwood supporters saying, basically, go ahead, you can join the NDP, and don't worry. If you belong to another political party, just put your membership on pause. Go ahead and join the NDP, vote for Angelique. And then she says, 
And don't worry about penalties or getting caught because the political parties don't merge their membership lists. So there's no fine, no penalty for doing it. You can switch back and forth between political parties without any consequences. Well, if that's your strategy, my advice is don't put it in writing. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Because that tells you what was going on here better than anything else. And really, I mean... Uh, the NDP executive had no choice. They, they took four hours going back and forth. I, I suppose they spent some time debating whether or not there was another alternative, although Cull really explained that there wasn't another practical alternative. They knew what they had to do, but they also yeah. knew, Simi, this was no win for them. They could see the the tide of anguish and protest on social media over this coming not just from Abbott or Ryanair supporters, but from, you know, we had a former cabinet minister weigh in on this saying, give her a chance. You had a former yeah. MLA going back to Dave Barrett era. I saw that. Officials. I mean, it, it, uh, they knew that there's no win in here for the NDP in this. I know. I don't understand that. I guess I think that if it weren't for the issue of like the climate change issue and how important that is, if we take the issue out of it, the fact that she's a movement candidate, she kept referring to herself out of that. That does it, the rules are still the rules, right? They seem to want to bend the rules because of the fact that they are dealing with climate change. Yeah, and yeah, you're, you're quite right. And and in that sense, it's a little like the rationalizations we got for throwing a can of tomato soup at a Van Gogh in the gallery there in you London, go. right? Yes. Because we feel so, it's so important, we're so righteous about saving the planet that, you know, it's not our methods you should be scrutinizing, it's our objectives. Exactly. And, uh, you know, the end does not justify the means. And in this case, the NDP is master of its own uh, affairs, like any other political party. It will take the political consequences from this. And you saw last night the kind of lip-smacking satisfaction that the Greens and the Liberals took from this, right? They both piled on as fast as they could. They should be careful because it comes around, right? And leadership races are notoriously difficult for any political party. So is it time then, Vaughn, to say maybe we should just have rules for this overall? Well, that's a very good point. And I think the, the, the really fundamental change that could happen would be for parties to hand over control of their leadership races to elections BC. That in exchange for uh, getting access to public funds, which they now all have if they're recognized, public funds to run for office, you're going to make your leadership processes subject to independent scrutiny by elections, B.C. The parties don't want to give up that power, right? But if you look at the kind of messes you get from this sort of thing, it might not be such a bad thing. I think within the NDP, they're talking again about whether or not one member, one vote, these recruitment drives are wise, that maybe either they should the day that the leader steps down, slam the brakes on the membership, not allow anybody else to join, but say the existing members are going to pick the next leader. Another option would be to go back to delegated conventions. Delegated conventions were controversial in their own way. They were more fun for the media to cover, to be sure are. to declare myself interest. But <laughs> they also meant that, you know, the people that got picked as delegates tended to be longtime party members. They were committed to the party. They worked as volunteers. It was an honor for them to be chosen 
to go to the convention. And as a result, they had a deep, long-term interest in the survival of the party. And I think the problem with many of the Apatari supporters is... They don't. They just joined for short-term interest yep. to get her elected and, and kind of made it clear that if she didn't win, they were going to head back to wherever they came from. Right. So if you are a longtime member of the party, you kind of look at this and go, well, these, they're not, are these people who have the best interest of the party at stake? Yeah, and that's where the NDP fell down on this. I mean, the party let this yes. happen. John yes, Horgan, ha- the party knew where John Horgan was headed. Even if he hadn't told the public much about that he was leaving, there were all kinds of signs in the spring. So they knew that they were looking at a leadership race. And they also knew if they checked their own membership list that they had allowed their membership to decline to 11,000 members. I guess what happened, Simi, is because everybody immediately united behind David Eby, the party went, well, this is going to be a piece of cake. We can let this go on and not worry about it. And I think Eby did the same thing. So, you know, E.B. inherits a party that's damaged itself. In fact, I think the New Democrats have damaged themselves more than anything the opposition parties have ever done to them. And he's got a mess to clean up, and the party has won too. But they are authors of their own misfortune on this. That's also the case. Okay, so what happens now? Okay, so Carl uh, is going to tell us the chief electoral officer is going to give us a new timetable for the leadership race, and since there's only one candidate, there's not much point in prolonging it. They may have a vote, but it'll be on a ballot with one name on it, and uh, she could just declare Eby the leader, so there'll be a process. Uh, that will happen very quickly. Uh, there will then be a handoff between the premier, John Horgan, and the incoming premier, David Eby. That can take place fairly quickly. What we're hearing is they would like to give Eby a bit of time to line up a cabinet and get everything in place and all of that and uh, have a handover. There's a week in November when the legislature doesn't sit, so it's the week of November the 7th, the week that has the Remembrance Day uh, holiday in it. Uh, So the betting is that probably that week where there will be a handover, government house, new premier sworn in, old premier goes to see the lieutenant governor, says I'm stepping down, recommend that you call on David Eby. Uh, David Eby and his new cabinet gather at government house here in Victoria and are sworn in. Um, November the 7th, I notice, is the handover at City Hall in Vancouver, so I doubt they would do it that day. It's a Monday, uh, maybe the Tuesday, November the 8th. Um, uh, or the next day, November the 9th, uh, somewhere in that week, uh, a handover, uh, one premier to another. Uh, E.B. would then wrap up what's left of the legislature session and get on with putting together a budget and throne speech for next year. Um, It's pretty clear after what happened to incumbents in civic elections in uh, British Columbia on the weekend, uh, he is not going to be any rush to face the voters. He's got some cleaning up to do first. Certainly does. A lot more to come. All right, Vaughn, thank you. Bye-bye, Simi.